This is 169 Projects. I'm Michael Tutton. I'm insatiably curious and excited about finding great work done in digital signage and visual communications. This podcast is designed to dig into some of those projects, find out what they're all about and how they came together. That might be a big experiential job, a massive video wall, projection mapping, or a cool one-to-one interactive project. Each episode will get into the thinking behind the project and how it came together by talking to the people responsible. Just like the Mothership Podcast 16.9, this one's available online, or you can subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or using your favorite podcast listening app. I'm grateful and excited to announce that the podcast now has a sponsor thanks to Mahler Digital Signage. That's right, 16.9 Projects is sponsored by Mahler Digital Signage. Put your digital signage network in expert hands. I was at the Digital Signage Expo in March and had the opportunity to speak with a number of Apex Award nominees. This episode, we featured Dan Hagen, CEO of Tennet, based in Vancouver and Seattle. The Dream Lounge was a temporary installation to expose TED Talk attendees to the Lush brand and provide a sanctuary away from the hectic pace of the show. The highlight of the project was a hanging canopy of living greenery and moss within which was a suspended six-foot square transparent LED screen playing ambient bath art content, which was also mirrored on a vertical LED video wall. The project required a custom-built structure that allowed rapid deployment by two people, as well as a few other nice little touches. Dan and I grabbed a quietish corner at the back of the DSE floor to discuss the project. Dan, thanks for joining me. Uh, maybe if you could uh, tell us what the project looks like when you stand there and you're in the, on the location. This is kind of a unique one. So we had three people that worked on that project intimately. Tracy Grant, Karen Pollock, and myself. And we helped design a space that was supposed to be an immersive space. So TED Talks is very unique. It's in a very elite crowd and very expensive tickets to get to see this event and uh, the people that go there are influencers worldwide, no doubt about it. Um, So the philosophy was to showcase Lush because they had a resting area. So people would come in, smell wonderful Lush products, they're all fresh and brought and was refreshed every day during the whole conference. There was massage chairs, they put essential oils and different types of things on you. Um, So the atmosphere had to feel the same. Uh, there was ambient music that we included in it, so we did the Pro AV as well. And but the interesting thing was that we needed to cover up the windows that were facing due south. So there's due south light that was be coming in and really affecting the whole ambient environment of what this space looked like. Prominent space, by the way, in the Vancouver Convention Center where the the uh, last. TED Talks was held. So it's right when you come up the stairs, it's the first thing that you see. So everybody would notice it for sure. So what we decided to do was have a very interesting concept piece of having a transparent LED go down the length of the window. So you would see the see through it, but also be able to see the ambient light being projected back at you. People, when they looked in from the outside, didn't really, couldn't tell what it was, but they could still see it, it would look through a window, of course. Uh, not that relevant. What changed the game was to take the LED, build a custom structure uh, to fit the LED and how to secure it, hoist it, so it was a custom lift that we built, uh, um, and have it projecting down. So the ambient environment created literally a 365 degree experience. And I'm saying it that way because it was from sight, feel, smell, senses from above, senses when you walked into the space. And of course, if you're interacting with the product, you're receiving that also from your senses. So it was, I thought, one of the coolest projects and uh, the feedback that uh, we received from the Lush staff that was on site, that the guests that came in 
very prominent figures in our society and technology, people are like, wow, this is really cool. Because everybody else, they were showcasing really, wow, bang, amazing things. Like, I got to show this or walk into this. I'm walking into a voided experience. This one, you really came in to lower your blood pressure, take your cortisol levels down. I just heard a good speech. I'd like to continue that. So I'm going to feel really calm. I'm going to think about this for five minutes when I'm in here. So what, what are the elements that are there? Like you, you kind of quickly listed everything, but tell me what, what's being projected and what's being seen. Sure. So the elements projected from above and from the window were coordinated. Uh, we use Scala, it was our primary software player uh, for this site because we could coordinate the content with the music so we could integrate it into one machine. <coughs> Excuse me. And we also could use it in lighting if we wished. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, we did have the lights. I don't think we controlled it through the Scala player, although we recommended that we do it all at once. It's going to be just kind of cool to do all in one shot. Um, so when you came through, the experience was uh, very calming colors. The, the LEDs were turned down to maybe 5%, so it was very soft. Uh, you walked into a calm environment, uh, light purples, light greens, shades of orange and yellows, um, very dramatic effect. Uh, and the images that flowed through, it really felt like you're almost in an ocean setting of color. Um, just a little bit different how you use content. And was there actual branded content there, no. or was it pure ambient? There, it was completely ambient. So the branding specifically was done by the Lush team on their stations for product. And I actually think they did that, it was a wise choice to do so. Instead of having a Lush brand come down, um, or you know, no animal testing that would be stated as well, which is of course their great, one of their great slogans and monikers, that it was better just to have that light. So this literally was an experience to come in. So our objective from the very beginning was to let people come in and calm down. So maybe give your uh, your comments on the on the notion of uh, creating branded content that doesn't have branding in it. So very good point. So the, <coughs> excuse me, the style guidelines are very much the same. Uh, colors would be the same ambient colors that would be uh, reflected in a lush brand. So all the standards would come in. The content itself came from their team. So how it was rendered and created, all we gave them was the aspect ratio at this point, and they my opinion, did a really wonderful job of just showcasing that. So all the elements were exactly the same. If it was doing a branded message like we're trying to influence behavior or do a brand statement of this is who we are. So it was the first environment I've ever done that before um, in my career. And the other Apex Award we won was something similar, but it had 4K branded uh, messaging on it a little bit. So even though, again, huge LED panels, you still had images of humans and statements and brand standards. Um, Lush changed the whole game of that. They literally made this environment for you to come in and relax. So uh, how did the project come together, you know, after, I'm not sure how you got the work, but once you started to work with Lush, how did, how did it come together in terms of generating ideas and, and building what was done? Did, did it take time to build that, or was it pretty much out of the gate aware of what was going to happen? Well, it felt very much like a trade show booth, because in essence, that's what it was. So changes were real time, um, which was good. So the staff was there from a, a bunch of different um, fields of study. Uh, from rigging specialists that had to be there because it was a very public space to uh, content people were on site all the time to lost staff was on site uh, managing things and how we set things up so things moved and ebbed so where we thought we would have things placed off actually it moved um, 
no challenge, uh, really, because we had the flexibility we expected these things to happen. The most interesting thing, uh, if I may, um, was just not the, even the technology on this. So we used a plant called Salal. Um, there was a floral company in Vancouver. They do a really nice job. And what they did was when we created the structure and we uh, bent the metal, welded it all in our shop, tested the, the, the LEDs in there and make sure it worked uh, for upside, hanging upside down. We didn't even know, to be quite honest. Could you, can, will this work? Uh, again, this, at that point, for more technology, is, uh, the technology that was designed was already three years old, right by the time it hit the U.S. market. So it had not been done before. It had, there had been some that had been angled, there had been some that had been overhanging a little bit. There's been none that's been completely suspended, uh, you know, over people's heads. Um, but what we designed when we built the structure and welded it was uh, places for the company that provided the greenery um, that, to, to put Salal in there, a live plant. So again, something different. So it was the first time in my career well that I introduced technology with more so than a living wall, it was literally living plants, thousands of them that created the scene. So I think even that, walking in, people looked up and saw the light reflecting off the greenery that hung down as well. They were like, wow, man, that's really cool. That's really different. Did you build it all together off-site off -site. before you brought it in? All big projects like that, we definitely, uh, our engineering staff is a little bit um, conservative. I'm using that word very politely, by the way. Um, so we build, test, everything gets set up, taken down, shipped, uh, and we make sure everything is working. Um, as you know, most LED com companies are offshore. I think they all are quite candid. Um, so the biggest things for that, of course, is pixels. Um, and you never will know if a pixel's working unless it's lit up. Uh, so oftentimes we will just light things up for a good three, four, a week, and just let it play, uh, bright to low, all aspects, ratios in between, um, just to make sure that when we ship it on site that you know, we can set it up and we know it's worked off site. So it's, it takes a lot of time and space. Um, another company, a Canadian company, if I can give a shout out that does that really well, is uh, Icon, the former Gridcast guys. They do the same thing. So uh, our working models are very similar in that case. I have a lot of respect for Sean and his team. Um, so I know they do the same type of thing. Everything gets set up, everything gets lit up, everything gets tested broken down, brought to site, ready to go. So it's very efficient for us, uh, any of the install staff that's there. Well, and good for you for giving a shout out to a competitor. Good people. Uh, there's, there's a, the, the older we get in this space, uh, the, the benefit, if I may, is you, you know who you want to work with from a good person's perspective. And um, our, my perspective on this and Tennet's perspective is very unique. Um, we get calls from our competitors all the time. Uh, we're not just Vancouver based, this is not a sales pitch by the way, yeah. but um, when a company calls that's GTA based uh, in Toronto or wherever they may be from a software platform perspective and they have a client that's in trouble, um, since I've been doing this a while like you have, you know, they know who I am. They'll call and like, hey, can you go reboot or change a player for us? Uh, I guess I can pay you, it'd be weird. I'm like, just send me the player. You know, if we don't support each other, it's terrible for the industry. Yeah. And I think some of the things that we've done in the past has been really damaging to those things. Uh, and uh, the one thing I think you'll appreciate, Michael, that I do that's very different, and uh, Tracy's off to my right can attest to, when I visit any city, I just walk to the competitor's office without an appointment. And we'll walk and say, hey, you guys do a great job. I saw that project you did on this. 
I don't want anything, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but, and, you know, they, they usually have a nice chat after that. And if you're like, wow, we probably could do something together. That's why I'm here. Because my skill set's probably different than yours. And I could use some help on these things and maybe you could use some help. I like to collaborate this. It makes the industry better. I'd like to thank our sole sponsor, Mahler Digital Signage, for their patronage. It helps cover the costs and means the podcast can visit DSC to gather some more great interviews. Here's Mahler's Luis Villafane. Hi there. This is Luis from Mahler Digital Signage. You can find us at MahlerDSO.com. We plan, install, and manage digital signage networks for marketing projects, advertising, and retail. We don't sell PCs. We don't sell screens. We don't sell advertising or do physical installations. At Mahler Digital Signage, we offer an all-around consultancy service and project management that will help you find the best hardware and software solutions to deploy from scratch your digital signage network. We adapt to what your company needs, from small to large networks, with a direct support from our engineers within 20 minutes. So at Matter, we manage and design networks. We manage and design digital signage networks. That is it. Check out our website at www.mallardso.com. What lessons did you learn going into this? You obviously did a lot of work here and a lot of different work. Was there kind of any big takeaways from what you, what you put together? Yes. Uh, it changed my thinking, and uh, I'll throw some props again to how Chris Regal has kind of changed the thought philosophy of our space. So um, I've always been that way of talking about the technology last, uh, but it made it even more convincing to me that it really all becomes about the brand and what your brand is trying to represent. And where it took me that from that point was, now what do I do with that brand to create an experience that's never been created before? And I don't care how big it is or how small it is. Um, I'd love to be able to create a space, and I'm gonna throw a hint out to anybody that's gonna listen to this, that you're gonna walk into an immersive digital signage space and you feel like you're walking into a void. Purpose built from technology. That's my next goal for winning an Apex Award. I don't know what that project will be or who I can sell that to, but I just I think that would be the coolest thing ever. Like you walk into something, but you're not there. It's literally a virtual experience. But is it? Yeah. So. Well, and I think the tight pitch uh, LEDs are going to allow that to happen. I right? do too. The, the notion of uh, completely wallpapering uh, the walls, and then they can sit in black, or they can sit with content. They could only use 10% of the screen to show content, and still have black. And especially if it's a retail environment, you can actually have all your product in front of it and, That's and exactly build right. into it. I, the potential of the tight pitch, I think, is just fantastic. It's amazing. Uh, there's been a few, uh, I'm sure you've seen the vendors on site as well. Um, it's the clarity on the LEDs at this point with the, how tight the pixels can be. Even from a tile perspective, uh, which I have always been kind of suspect of, to be quite candid, um, uh, I can't see it. You can't see it. It's, it's honestly amazing. What do you think, uh, you know, we've been talking, a lot, a lot of the podcasts I'm doing, we end up talking about ambient content and how to uh, make use of screens in a way that, you know, as we spoke about earlier, being able to brand it and make use of it in a way that can still be monetized in that. But where do you think we're heading overall, not long term, but maybe three years, let's say, when I think, because I think maturity is starting to happen in the industry and content and that. So I, I'm thinking three years is probably where I would like to see the industry really have its act together and what it's doing content-wise. What do you see kind of happening in the three-year area with content maturity? I think the Google's coming, uh, no doubt about it. And uh, they certainly have the power and the bandwidth and the human power 
uh, and the technology and the data that's been aggregated. So um, you have to be a CDM, Chrome Device Management player someplace. Um, that's going to change how people interact with content. It's going to be quick, fast, real time. Um, even if you're using Google Slides, um, we don't really do much Google at this point. I, I just feel like that's what's going to happen. Uh, our interactive devices, whereas you know yourself and Tracy off to my right have been building content using very big Macs to do really cool. It always will be there. Have to do it. Um, but I really believe a lot of it's going to come from this device I'm holding in my hand, which is my smartphone. Um, and it's going to be the ones that are deploying not one screen or big displays of video walls, but even networks of hundreds could be deployed through a Google device management system off your phone. So my, my content comment is uh, very much like the talk I just gave, gave uh, at DSEU, Human Centered Digital Signage. Um, I just want to make sure that however immersive or experiential or whatever we're trying to develop through our content, no matter if it's traditional, on-premise, Google-based content, however these systems are being delivered, that the way we're interacting with these things really keeps the people in the forefront because uh, the data is massive at this point. We definitely are collecting the data. Um, the objective from that point forward is to make sure we're using it to the best of our ability to make sure we maintain the best standards that we can for our industry. Because uh, what's going to happen is, and I, you would probably agree with me, Michael, how influential the content that's going to be rendered is going to be really powerful. It will influence people, uh, communities, states. I don't know. I mean, it can be done. It, it renders national pride. It, it could destroy national pride. Uh, there are big things that can happen from content engines that are being built right now. So um, my, my advice is it's going to be amazing. Uh, and my advice to the amazing part of it is I hope we do it well and keeping, keeping us in perspective when we build that content. Which I guess is a good segue to uh, what should people be doing when creating content? Well, for me, I, again, I, I kind of look at it from the back, backwards, forwards. So um, I'm always a person that looks, and it, which would be weird, right? Because I'm primarily a software guy. <clears throat> Excuse me, I've been in the software hardware space my entire career. Um, but I always look at it backwards. Like, and it's been said, and Dave Haynes was, of course, infamous for it. You know, what are you trying to achieve? What's your goals for your content strategy? Um, <clears throat> but even more so than a content strategy uh, is really what are you trying to say? Just break it down to the very fundamentals. And once you can get to some very, like a business mission statement almost, you know, once you've gotten to that mission statement, then how do you say it? Um, you know, we've gone, as you know, over the career of our spans, spans of careers to hundreds of images on displays to now we've, I think we're finding a balance of uh, animations and refinements that aren't so overwhelming. <clears throat> One thing I forgot to mention today in the speech was the images that were on the screens were flashing at three seconds. Uh, it was purpose-built that way. And the reason it was purpose-built at three seconds is that's what has been stated now for our attention span. Um, so what I see these engines being built in the content, it actually looks back. So are we rendering from a three-second perspective, or are we rendering for something that's going to be a little long or lasting and impactful from an ambient environment? And I guess that could be very applicable from a menu board to a museum. You could look at it that way from any perspective.
And, and projects like the Lush one really are looking at it from the client's point of view. Because it's an experience, you, you have to look at it from the client's point of view, not from the tech point of view. It's 100% an experience. The technology was, I would say, tertiary uh, on the list. So humans come in to get a relaxing experience. The product itself, the physical product itself would be secondary. The technology is there to support it. So if the technology was too powerful, it definitely would wreck that whole experience. Well, thanks for talking to me today, Dan. Thank you, Michael, it's a pleasure. That's all for this episode of 69 Projects. If you've seen a project in the wild and said to yourself, now that's cool, I'd love to hear about it and maybe feature it on an upcoming episode. You can reach me at michael at crowncontent.ca. This podcast is a companion to the 69 podcast, which talks to smart people doing interesting things in this business. It's also tied in with 169, which is the website to read if you really want to learn about the digital signage industry. You'll find that at 16-9.net. This podcast is produced by me in Toronto and is a product of Vertical Media Consulting Group, the massive media empire my buddy Dave Haynes runs out of his house down the highway in Burlington, Ontario. This podcast is sponsored by Mahler Digital Signage. Check them at mahlerdso.com. Thanks for listening. I'm Michael Tutton.